Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. I know it took a, a little bit of a hiatus for the holidays, but we're back with a special episode and a special guest. I'd like to welcome my guest, Ms. Maytel Mansouri, the managing partner of Mansouri Law. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. So did I pronounce all that correctly first? Pretty close. The name is Maytel, like the month of May and tall. Maytel. Been what saying I say? that since I was a little kid. I don't know what you said, but it didn't just, sound right. <laughs> just putting it out there. <laughs> May tall. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah. I, I have a friend uh, who's Israeli named May tall. So I should be able to pronounce it well, yeah, correctly. Cause I talk to her all the time, but anyway, thank you for joining uh, us. And uh, we, we obviously know each other and I'm, I'm grateful for you uh, to join them. I'm super curious because as I was doing, I like to do some research on, on people when, before they come on. So I don't, you know, I, I ask them sort of intelligent questions and you've done a fantastic job in your interviews and, and uh, like I, I, I even, there were some podcasts and, and uh, other things, but like, there's not a lot of information about you personally, like about law and the things that you support and, and you've done some amazing things, but where did you actually grow up? I grew up in Orange County um, in Tustin, which is like a really small kind of town in Orange County. Um, yeah, I my parents uh, are immigrants. My mom's from Argentina. My dad's from Israel. And they were very like, uh, you know, immigrant mentality, um, you know, hustling super hard they're both uh i mean pretty much self-employed both of them entrepreneurs um and you know they kind of like push pushed me a little bit like in the direction of being a lawyer you know it's like when you're a first generation american it's like gotta be a doctor my brother's a doctor yeah. you gotta be a lawyer <laughs> right it's like that's where you gotta go because you know, it's like more sure of a path. And I always loved the law and, you know, public speaking and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of made sense. But yeah, that's where I grew up. It was a lot of, um, you know, just super American, Southern California kids, which is, 
different for me who is, um, you know, parents, English is their second language. It's also like kind of random to be from Israel living there. It's like super random. Um, but it was an interesting place to grow up. And then, um, I went to college on the central but coast. What, what brought, what brought them to Orange County of all places? My mom literally like picked a place on a globe or on yeah, a map. looks good. Why yeah, not? <laughs> a thousand percent. She made some random phone call to someone and asked a question. It was like, Oh, I'm there. And just like up and moved, you know? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. So I'm I'm an immigrant. I was born in Lithuania, but I, I came when I was like six years old. And I so I know that whole immigrant mentality, my parents, uh, from like the Soviet Union, whatever old Soviet Union. So it was the whole thing. But they knew I'm not gonna be a doctor because uh I don't I don't like blood and all that stuff. <laughs> Even though I'm in science now and and but they're like, You're gonna be a lawyer, but I don't have the uh I don't have the attention span. I didn't have the attention. They they're like you're not going to make it through law school. So go to physical therapy school instead. And like, I, and I never worked as a physical therapist my entire life, but that's what they, they sort of, they actually, they had a psychiatrist friend come in and had this whole, they had an intervention because I wanted to go into music. I wanted to go into the business of music, but they had an intervention for me, like with my parents and a psychiatrist to tell me how I need a stable income job. So I completely understand. Yeah, that's wow. That's crazy that they did that. That's next level. <laughs> yeah, so I tell my daughter, I'm like, you can do whatever you want. She's an act, musician, actor. I don't care what you do, but I'm never going to tell you and steer you in a direction. You find your own path because it's my parents did to me. But I guess it's like their own fears and insecurities about being immigrants in this country. They projected it out onto me, but it didn't work at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, and they're just nervous, right? They don't know what the other like option is you know what are you gonna do and it's like where where is that going and they just get really really worried um yeah you, my, you, have, you have siblings right yeah my oldest brother the doctor my mom actually like flew him to argentina to go to medical school because medical school here is like impossible to get into and so he went to medical school for eight years in buenos aires hmm to become a doctor and come back and practice here. You you also traveled. Were, were you in, uh, in Argentina as well? Uh, were, you, were you going to school there or, or were you just hanging yeah, out traveling I, the I, world? I was kind of doing a little bit of everything <laughs> um, because my brother had lived there. His apartment, when he finished school, his apartment opened up. So I went down there and I went to school and traveled a ton. I, you know, I love to travel. That's like my favorite thing. I've been, I spent, um, you know, a semester in Spain, a year in Argentina, a couple months in Brazil. I lived in Amsterdam for a year. Um, That's like really my favorite thing to do. What what is, uh, are those like your, some of your favorite places that you've been to? I think um, Brazil is like my favorite place in the world. Where, um, were you? Were you everywhere? Like Rio? The so the East Coast is kind of like the beach town. So you have Salvador in like the very north. Yeah, and then you have uh, like Rio further south. And I just kind of did all that for two months, and just like lived on the beach, like basically smoked weed all the time <laughs> you know it was like awesome do you smoke uh do you smoke do you speak portuguese uh i i speak a little portuguese um i speak spanish fluently and so that's really kind of an easy transition uh, um so i spoke enough to like get along in brazil but i'm not like fluent in portuguese by any means yeah, I'm supposed to be there in February for the first time, so I'm looking forward <gasps> yes, to it. for the carnival. Yeah, well, we have yeah we have partners in the, there, so we're, they want me to come out, and I said if you can time it around carnival, I'll be happy to to go and, and party. Where in Brazil? Uh, São Paulo, probably. Okay. So, but I have to get to Rio if it's carnival, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Rio and then all the northern beach towns are so cool. They're so unique. Yeah, I have friends in if I'm probably gonna butcher the name, Florinopolis. Is that mm-hmm. what it's called? Yeah. In that area. Yeah, that's south of Rio. Got it. 
Um, okay. Yeah, cool. that's we'll fun. Go. You're gonna have a blast. Yeah, I can't wait. I love to travel too. I lived the and Amsterdam is one of my favorite places in the world uh, for obvious reasons, except for the weather. So the weather is miserable there. But if you miserable. go when it's nice out, it's great. So how do you become a doctor of law? <laughs> a juris doctor. Yeah. A juris doctor. I was just giving it. I was taking away the Latin and just making it like this is what it really means. A doctor of law. Um, you go to a lot of school. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you go through school. Uh, school's tough. You know, super competitive. The other students are incredibly well prepared, um, and it's like you know, everything's on a curve and everything's super competitive, at least where I went to school. Every school is different. Mine was like very competitive. Um, And I think law school kind of changes you a bit. I always tell this to like people who want to go to law school, who want to become lawyers. It changes you. Like it really takes away a lot of your creativity and kind of that, that flow, honestly. Um, it's very constricting if you're not kind of a very a type, mm-hmm. you know, type of person. Um, uh, but you know, it's, it's obviously very useful. Um, and I enjoy my job. I enjoy what I do. Um, you know, I like that I've made it more kind of creative and more about more of me in there than just like a standard law job. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. I was just, I was just, I was just trying to see because, you know, like having a, uh, a juris doctor is different than just like talking to an attorney. So I, you know, additional schooling is required and all that stuff. But I mean, in school in general, so I used to be a commercial real estate broker and it's, it's also a difficult exam and you study, you cram, but it's not what you actually do. You know, you, you go to school and you take classes and you have to have a certain amount of hours and you take the exams and you have this, but it's not what you like. It doesn't mean that's your job. It's maybe 10% of your job where you learn in school and you do other things. So I, I think it's a, and I don't know this. That's why I wanted to kind of, it's, it's great to differentiate yourself. And maybe to get additional business, say, okay, I, you know, I have additional school and I have additional, but it's about, you know, your, your connection to your, your clients, I think. And, and the way you, you mentioned flow, like the way you have your own unique take on it. I think that's what really differentiates you at the end of the day, not the schooling, but. I mean, the schooling is very important. <laughs> it's uh, like, <laughs> you know, it's like. I do what I did in school quite often <laughs> throughout okay. the day. Well, never know? mind what I said. Yeah, it just serious at all. <laughs> no, um, because it is hyper, it can be hyper technical. Um, but the fun part in cannabis law is that you get to uh, kind of take what you learn and really make up a lot as you go because there's no precedent it's not like other areas of the law that's super well established so that's right. kind of the best part of my job too is that i get to use what i learned in school to shape policies moving forward for like a brand new industry so was there was there a certain like uh i, I want to get into why cannabis but your trajectory you went to school and you wanted was there like were you, did you want to be a defense attorney they were like what did you want to do and then how did you actually transition to cannabis uh you know i started law school not knowing exactly but i had been really into um like uh performance arts and theater and all that so i thought okay well maybe i'll go into the entertainment industry as a lawyer that's kind of where i initially thought um right but uh you know to be honest that felt, I mean, I was also in San Francisco. I wasn't in LA, but that felt like an impossible industry to get into at the time. And really I took, you know, every kind of internship or law clerk position that I took, a lot of them kind of indirectly or directly were related with cannabis and marijuana. I was like, I did some copyright work for the Jerry Garcia estate. I um, worked at my first sort of large foray was that I worked at a criminal defense firm that had a really, really, really big federal marijuana case at the time. 
And so I did work on that. And then, like I said, I lived in Amsterdam. And then when I came back to LA, I worked in another cannabis criminal defense firm. So it was really kind of like the path, the way that um, I was led. And I think that honestly, it has to do with cannabis because I'm an advocate, but also the lawyers that were practicing in that area were more like me and less like Mm. some of my colleagues in the legal profession, you know, a little more creative, a little more sort of just a different kind of lawyer. Yeah. You want to connect with people you're sort of vibrating uh, with and and uh, yeah. are on on your on your frequency kind mm-hmm. of uh, makes sense. Uh, so in criminal defense, and I know, like I, w- I was talking to uh, Bruce Margolin uh, a long time ago, and he was like, "Well, and not on a podcast. We're just smoking a joint, talking." And he's like, "This this legalization had like almost took away most of my business because he was doing a lot of." Uh, defense criminal work um so how i I don't know if you did any of this work before but did did legalization uh, it's not legalization uh, i don't know what you call where we are right now in the states Uh, we have all these propositions so we have we have cannabis programs in in a bunch of different states in california obviously has this uh uh, recreational uh program that i don't even like to be to call recreational i think it should be called adult use but the how does it like, uh, did that at all affect any of the criminal uh, cannabis uh, cases, defending criminals? Because I think it probably changed a lot, right? It Well, you know, I was already more in the business world than I was in the criminal defense world at the time. Um, I did work a lot in criminal defense, especially, you know, I specialized in cannabis criminal defense. We had all these wonky laws. You know, it was really, really there in the trenches, you know, from a litigation perspective. But I would say pretty early on, even like two to three years before legalization, I was already more in the business world. I was more Mm -hmm. drawn to that. Uh, The clients were easier to work with. Um, And, you know, it was also kind of, um, you know, perfect timing. It was like I pivoted sort of, you know, at the right time in the industry earlier on. So when you're talking about business, are you talking about licenses? Like I can help you, uh, you know, I can represent you getting a license or is it more M&A transactional type of stuff where, you know, there's a, there's investors, there's a company that wants to merge with another company, let us help sort of uh, do this the right way kind of thing. And then all these companies started going public in Canada. Uh, I'll, I'll ask your thoughts on that. Uh, I have my own opinion because we were asked to go public numerous times, which, mm. you know, thank God we didn't do. But uh, it, so what does that entail? It's been so interesting because as I look back on my career, it's just kind of always ever changing forever. Um, you know, I would say that the first part was mostly what we would call risk mitigation, right? People who are operating in the gray market and helping them, you know, establish a viable defense. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, going into corporate governance and then certainly into even like lobbying, you know, locals and uh, state officials to get them to change the law. And then more into, okay, time to clean up our act. We're going to apply for a license. So preparing their applications, getting them the licenses. We got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of licenses. You know, that was like, we were really, you know, we were, and we are the best at that, um, you know, Mm. um, and then, you know, really right now what's hot is the M&A. That's, you know, and then with our built-in like regulatory compliance background, we can structure those deals. You know, usually you need two lawyers uh, or two even like sort of departments to do those. You need the corporate and you need the regulation, but we kind of have them all in, uh, you know, our small little team. Um, so M&A a lot right now, you know, we've been predicting sort of consolidation in the market for a long time. And that's really what we're seeing now. So. Is it is it more M and A where you have two different types of um, 
I guess companies are doing something similar. One is a little bigger than the other and is trying to merge with the other, or is it more or less uh, you're representing some investors who may want to get into the industry and there's an opportunity for them to do that. And, uh, you know, and they want to invest and not necessarily operate or is a combination of both. Uh, it's either, you know, people who are, uh, expanding or divesting, honestly, there's mm-hmm. like a change in the market where people are not necessarily getting out completely, but they probably have over leveraged themselves. Um, and that's what we're seeing mostly. It's basically like, okay, we've over leveraged, whether we're a publicly traded company or, you know, a hustler, small, uh, company and we need to lean out. So what's most profitable for us, what's working for us and what's not working for us. And so then they're making those decisions. And then another company who, you know, sort of is specializing in the exact thing that the other company is failing at can gobble that up at a, at a fire sale price, or, you know, right now it's, it's lower prices for sure. Yeah. The, the capital markets are really interesting. I, and I kind of thought when when Biden came out and said, you know, we're going to release all the zero criminals that are in jail for uh, (laughs) federal, uh, you know, in federal jail for, uh, you know, for having a little bit of weed, which there aren't any. I thought at the very least, the people that really don't know, they're going to be like, oh, we're making a move. It's going to be, he he's close legalizing, which we, we know that's probably not the case, but it hasn't really, it hasn't really moved the needle maybe for a week, but it hasn't really moved the needle. So in your, in your experience, and you're also, you participate in international forums and, and groups of, of uh, uh, attorneys all over the world that are fighting for, you know, legalization. What are your thoughts first on this whole notion? I, I brought it up earlier of uh, recreational uh, versus medicinal, especially in California. Knowing you're a big advocate, starting in San Francisco, we know you know where this came from, and you know my company's involved in the medical space, and we're doing trials and we're doing research, so we see sort of the trajectory, and then you have. Kind of a funny story, and, and, and my ADD is kicking in, so I'll go back to uh, my question. But I was invited to speak at an event, and I usually, I usually try to speak at more, you know, formal medical related or sciencey related type of things. At this point, and it was a, it was one of my old partners when uh, we used to have dispensaries back under Prop Two Fifteen, and he invited me to speak at a consumption event. I came to the event. I mean besides it being disorganized and everybody's dabbing and everything else, I literally get on stage. I, I start talking. Nobody's really paying attention to anything I'm saying. And at, at the end of my talk, this guy walks up to me just as I'm finishing. He goes, hey, man, is it possible we can get the music on? I was like, I'm having a conversation. I'm trying to. And I said, I said to him, hey, man, listen, you like smoking weed, right? He's like, yeah, of course. So all you people like smoking weed right here. I said, well, the reason why you're actually in this consumption event and the reason why you're actually able to consume is because you're standing on the shoulders of people like myself and others who actually sacrificed and they came from you know the medicinal side. So if you learn about what the hell the endocannabinoid system is, it, just in general, maybe you can pass that knowledge on to somebody else. They don't want to hear me at all. Uh, they didn't care. But uh, this whole thing of this shift to recreational from medicinal, at first I thought, okay, there's two parallels and maybe people who have a uh, medical card, maybe they'll get special dispensational, save on taxes, uh, as some other states do, but not in California. So anyway, I wanted to get your your thoughts and opinion on on this trajectory, how these states are, are starting to move into recreational versus uh, uh, medicinal. Yeah, I think you're, you're, Sort of, I mean, especially even with the Biden stuff, um, you know, medical is where, you know, the, the point of entry, essentially. And I think um, what is medical, what is not medical, right? And so that's also another question, um, you know, it's kind of the spectrum and this normalization process. And coming from the medical side, you know, those that, you know, myself as well, it's like, that's the advocate. That's someone who wants to have a deep understanding of the plant, has a connection with the plant. Um, 
And, you know, keeping that education also is incredibly important for the consumers. Um, you know, so each state, you know, we just like New York, they just came online, right? We're going to do it right. We have all the answers. I don't want to listen to anybody else, right? Of course, they step in it because everybody's, do, you know, sort of um, has to step in it just to figure it out. And when federal legalization occurs, they will step in it as well. You know, it's just like, it's going to take forever for it to all like shake out. Um, but I do think what's more significant than the pi- the, pardon, the Biden pardons is, uh, you know, the fact that he is signing, hopefully, this uh, medical research bill. Yeah. You know, that I think should have moved the markets. I wasn't watching, but um, it should have <laughs> uh, because that is the first time that a president of the United States is signing on that kind of on a cannabis bill. And I think that's yeah. huge. Um, it's medical. Medical is absolutely going to be the entry point. Medical is also how we're going to get international trade eventually. Um, medical is the entry point, but it leads to adult use. It just does. Um, and that is, it's all really, really tricky. Adult use, I, I like better than recreational. And I agree with you, the medical, because so I had a conversation with Lori Ajax years ago, and she was the quote-unquote cannabis R for those of you who, who don't know who she is. Uh, but we actually sat across each other uh, in our office with uh, her attorney there and uh, one of my colleagues. And I was telling her how people, you know, have some adverse uh, events that are happening from not understanding what kind of cannabis to use, where we need to do testing on the products and all this before we had testing standards. And I said, uh, you know, people are not, don't know which medicine to get for them. And she leans over the table. This is a woman, just to describe, you you know, but not a a big jokester, no real smiles in her face. She was a pretty serious uh, woman. And she goes to me, come on, you and I both know it's not really medicine. And I was like, oh, wait, you're, you're who? What is your position? You are the czar in California who's supposed to make all these regulations. And I, and then it's sort of like, uh, it hit me that she came from, you know, tobacco, alcohol, whatever it was. It's all about how can we create a system that's very similar to that, that we can tax and create revenue. And it's not about, you know, medicine, but then in a way she, st- we started having a little bit deeper conversation she, she, and she started, you know, elaborating that, it's not medicine according to the FDA. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. But is there other are there other products that we consume that are um therapeutic, I guess, not medical? So can we actually put that uh, cannabis in that category? And we sort of came to the this agreement. But I guess I'm leading to this question. You brought up New York. Is there anybody that's sort of doing it correctly? Is there anybody in the world, any any state that says, okay, uh, this is a good model to follow? No. (laughs) (laughs) All right, drop the mic. That's it. No, No, there really isn't. I mean, state of California, I mean, everybody's getting overtaxed and overregulated in the state of California. The market's saturated. Um, the boundaries, these artificial boundaries between states, between countries that restrict trade unnecessarily, um, mm. these false markets, these limited markets on the East Coast, um, you know, California, you know, oversupplies, but can't supply to the rest of the country. So it's really like everybody are in these little islands and they're trying to do their own system and figure it out. And I think there's something to be said about state control, local control. I think that's okay, but there has to be some uniformity because the market is too big right now to be contained within each state. And so you're always going to have nefarious actors when there's all of these sort of like false realities, right? The market is just not being treated normally. Um, There's just, it's volatility. It's just volatile. As far as from a business and market standpoint, from a medical perspective, California just, just came up with some standardized testing procedures, which um, 
I think is super important because you have all those inflated THC levels. I don't know how impactful these standardization methods will be, but I think that's a plus. But we just, everyone's trying to do it, you know, everyone's trying to do it their own way with their own interests. Um, and it's just a hot mess. How, how would you do it? How would I you're, do you're it? You're the czar now. You're the czar now. So uh, am I the czar of the world? Because I can only be the czar of the world. <laughs> let's do the czar of the world. Let's let's start. Let's start the from the czar of you, the world. You are the czar of the world. Here's uh, your opportunity. How would you do it? No, I think uh, federally we could use the tobacco uh, TTB. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a great regulatory body. And, uh, you know, it doesn't address your issue of, of medical. So that's something to consider. Um, but I think that would be, we need some sort of federal uniformity and there can't be over taxation. The tax needs to be like, and we need 280E. We need to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. And then as far as medical goes, I think we have obviously medical marijuana, but now we have psilocybin coming in. We have all these other sort of alternative medical therapeutic wellness products that would all seemingly have to go through the FDA, right? So the first things first, we have to get it deemed medical and taken, Mm -hmm. I think, off of the schedule. I think if you reschedule, what happens is you just, you, you lose control. So I think you take it off first is decriminalizing. I mean, there's so much that needs to be done, but it's, it's just the toothpaste is out of the tube at this point. So you have to like clean up the toothpaste. It's like very messy. No, and I I agree with you. I think, so, you know, I'm following what's going on in certain parts of the world. I think Germany's trying to do it right. If they actually succeed, who knows, but they have a medical program and uh, the medical program, and they will have adult But it's going use. through pharmacies, right? Well, the way that it works right now is you have to you have to see a doctor, and it's all it's all um, it's all done online through these uh, forms. So basically, a you must have tried something else that wasn't efficacious, and now cannabis is your second choice. From there, it's, it has to be a pre-existing condition. So these are all the list of conditions, and there's a lot of conditions. And then uh, it goes out automatically to the insurance company, and the insurance pre-approves your cannabis. From there, you pick the the doctor picks the cannabis for you. Now here's the challenge: you only have like four or five companies, like Bedrican and Tilray, and a couple other companies. There's no terpene profiles; it just ratios of cannabinoids, one to one, twenty to one, one to whatever that is. And that's it. However, you have to report back in a month or whatever it is on efficacy. So at least they'll be looking at a feedback loop that's really, really important for you know anecdotal or uh, observational uh, evidence. Even if we're not doing clinical trials, which I think uh, clinical, I have a whole theory on clinical trials anyway, because you only need thirty percent efficacy for a drug to be passed. Uh, as long as you have a, a whole bunch of black box warnings. In it. But however, this is the way to start looking at at least insurance companies. The reason why they would cover that is if you can mitigate adverse effects for people, great, then you have an opportunity to go ahead and do something. And I completely agree with you uh, on this whole notion of let's remove it. Let's uh, let's remove it uh, like like alcohol, right? We have prohibition. So you just end prohibition completely. And then what happened was, uh, from from what I read, you have different states that have interstate commerce between themselves and states come up with their own rules and regulations. Like Pennsylvania was a state liquor control. Like you can't go into a 7-Eleven in Pennsylvania and buy your liquor. You have to go to a state store. That's what they decided. But they have interstate commerce like New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. So you can do the same kind of thing with cannabis uh, and that that's adult use. And for medicinal purposes, you now, with this bill hopefully uh, getting passed, now we can conduct real studies, real uh, studies not using the cannabis that was uh, you know cultivated in Mississippi and all that we know under uh, the NIH. We can use whatever real cannabis where people consume and really start proving out the efficacy of some of these things based on symptomatic conditions and diseases. 
But I, I don't really know. There's a lot of different countries. Brazil is trying as well. Like they have a medical program and that one is uh, implemented through a doctor and a pharmacy. So you have to go to a pharmacy to, to get your, uh, you know, your therapeutic product or your medicine, whatever you want to call it. So I don't know either. I, I don't know what the right model is, but I don't think it's one model. I think it's going to be an adult use model, something similar to how we get supplements. So we get our uh, specific personalized supplements, though I could, and there's consistency to that. This is the one major thing in the industry is uh, the lack of consistency. You mentioned testing. If I go into a shop in California and I get you know one product and I get the same product in Jersey, I have no guarantee that it's going to be the same exact thing. And we never have to worry about that when we're going to a vitamin shop. When we get one product, it's probably going to be the same. So that standardization is going to be important. And on the medicinal side, you know, maybe there'll be like, I, I know there's some sort of over-the-counter medications that you have to show your driver's license at the pharmacy to get. I, I don't take, I don't take medicine. So I, I don't know, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's a different level of Benadryl or something like that. You have to show your driver's license. They can do the same thing. You just register people that way, but I don't have an answer for uh, it just needs to be available. And, you know, there's one thing is the consumer or the patient and the other is the, you know, the health of the business and, and the markets. Yeah. And I agree with you on the saturation. I think in the taxation is ridiculous in 280E uh, and, and banking. Yeah. But being, you know, getting into this industry when I, when I did and looking where we are today, man, I, I just pinch myself sometimes like, wow. Holy shit, we came a long way. We're still not Absolutely. there, but wow. I mean, yeah, way I used different. to, when I used to have dispensaries, I, I tell you, I had a, a family and I would drive home and I would drive like little streets around and just make sure nobody's following me because not that I had anything on me because they know it's a cash business. And that was, it, it was an extremely dangerous uh, environment to be in. I'm not saying it's not dangerous now, but at least there's like regulations, legalities that you can, you can actually call the cops, <laughs> but right. I wasn't calling cops back then no. because, uh, yeah. Um, you brought up, uh, you know, psychedelics and, uh, and, uh, psilocybin and things of that nature. Uh, do you see a lot more business starting to move in the direction of, uh, you know, psychedelics and, uh, psilocybin and MDMA? Do you see, uh, you know, clients coming in and looking into that? We see, you know, because it's still illegal in California, mm -hmm. there's just me as an attorney, there, it, there's a limitation to what I can do right now. Um, but a lot of, a lot of people are interested. There's a lot of growth. Um, you know, anybody who's like more on the research side or, you know, uh, you know, we saw Colorado just decriminalize. So, um, it's moving in that direction. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting to watch the start of this space versus the start of the cannabis, not start up, I shouldn't say start up, but the, the commercialization or the, um, you know, sort of more mainstream uh, use. Um, you know, it feels like this is much faster. Mm. It feels, yeah. yeah. I, I, I agree. It, definitely faster based on the experience they saw with cannabis. And I think, I think it's because it's single molecules. It makes it much easier to say, okay, it's psilocin, right? Or psilocybin. And, and we can measure how much and we can kind of see what the effects are. But when you have such a complex plant with like you know, over 400 mm. different molecules, it's really difficult for them to really connect to that. Plus there was already programs in place uh, with LSD and with uh, psilocybin and, and ketamine and ketamine is legal, you know, yeah. it's, uh, but it's how you utilize it. And, and I also think that it. cannabis is historically, you know, uh, black and brown uh, substance. Exactly. And so that, you know, we just saw cocaine uh, rescheduled or descheduled, you know, or whatever just happened with cocaine, you know, again, another great example, like, the demographic is more Caucasian that's going to, that's, yeah. you know, associated with those products. And so that's not products, whatever you want to call them substances. Um, so you're going to see more movement on that much faster. You know, one of the biggest hurdles to, I mean, the, the criminalization, the prohibition was racially motivated. And so, 
you know, it's not based in science necessarily. It's not definitely not based in logic. Um, and it's also like stickier to unwind. Yeah, no, you're a hundred percent correct. I mean, that's uh, there is a tremendous stigma associated with that uh, still. So it's it's difficult for people to get. You know, it's it's weed. It's uh, just the word marijuana in general. We can go off on a, a whole tangent on that. But I I also think that people don't understand how quote unquote drugs really work in in your body. Like people actually blame these substances for doing different things, and especially like you're using alcohol and. Uh, if you drink too much alcohol, you're not sitting there and blaming the alcohol. You're saying, "Oh man, I, I shouldn't have had that much. much. I shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't have had that extra yeah. shot." And nobody says, "Hey man, you know, I shouldn't smoke that joint. I smoked too much, or whatever it is, or I consume." Nobody thinks about it that way. And then, and then they don't understand. Like, co- we still have, you know, cocaine in, in medicine, and we use it all the time. And because there's there is a um, a mechanism for it. Like people that know uh, in medicine and science, they understand you take cocaine, it binds to a dopamine receptor and releases dopamine, blocks the reuptake. And I just believe that because the endocannabinoid system, so, I mean, it's not that new, 1992, but because people don't understand how cannabis actually works, same way the cocaine works, same way the opium works. And we use it all as medicine, but it's different receptors, different systems that we also have inside of us. I think just people don't understand that. And we haven't done a really good job of conveying that as, as a community. We try, but we haven't really had the platform also to be able to uh, communicate that with the medical community. They'll come out besides like Sanjay Gupta and, and explain to people how it works. I'll never forget like my, my parents who are not cannabis activists at all it's like whatever the complete opposite of that is and they were they called me up they were watching Sanjay Gupta's We 2.0 and they're like oh well this is interesting it might actually work this girl Charlotte what they were they were showing so it's yeah. it's extremely effective right. to have like a TV doctor that talks about these uh, these stories and I think with uh, psychedelics I think we're going to be moving in that direction in much quicker than than cannabis um, in your experience with your with your uh, uh, clients, is there sort of or are there common issues that uh, these cannabis companies have that are sort of the like their their pitfalls? Like these are I already know that this is what you know where the potholes are, and you guys are going to step in these <laughs> potholes and keep doing the same thing. Um, I think yeah, one common pitfall is just the fast dealings. Um, the deals are done on napkins. Uh, and as a lawyer, that's always a challenge, <laughs> you know, literally. Um, they tend to um over leverage themselves. I think they want to be everywhere all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just trying to get to market first all the time. Um, so I think that that can happen. Um, and yeah, just this sort of unclear, uncertain business terms for very substantial and significant amounts of money or obligations, you know, something that it's like, you agreed to do what? Like for how much? And you didn't ask these, you know, it's just not like fully flushed out just because they, you know, they're entrepreneurs and they want to get it done, Um, which is fun for me too, because then I, you know, I get wrapped up in it. You know, I think, um what else i think those are the some major ones yeah do do you think that you know this industry being so unique especially now where you have uh, basically drug dealers right uh who because they're operating the gray and now they have to work with you know corporate suits who have no connection to plant whatsoever i know for a, f- a number of corporate executives in the space who control a lot of uh, real estate, let's just say, quote unquote, in this in this uh, space, they never even consume the plant. So do you think this this sort of, uh, you know, the economy where you have the, the people who are advocates who are connected to the plant and who've done this 
in the in the black and the gray. Now they have to sit at a table with the you know the suits. Do you think that has uh, anything to do with it? Um, yeah, I think it's more of just the culture from you know coming out of that market, right? Not having to sort of observe all of these formalities for such a long time. That absolutely has something to do with it. I think just the volatility of the market in general has has an influence on it. You know, um, I would say the other thing, you know, that we encounter a lot is people who try and do their licensing first on their own. That's something that Mm -hmm. we encounter a lot of issues with because they are so used to being able to do everything themselves and it's their business. How hard can it be? Um, And there's so many like regulatory nuances. And so we see that a lot too. I think, yeah, you know, like we talked about the toothpaste being out of the tube. When you try to kind of collect all this and put it into some regulated market, it's just super messy. So being a cannabis uh, attorney who's in the space, first of all, uh, how did your parents uh, kind of react and respond to you being in the cannabis space, being Immigrants and all that stuff. I'm just curious. Uh, I mean, they're super supportive. They're kind of stoked on it. You know, I had the same Sanjay Gupta talk with them. You know, (laughs) um, you know, I think it was like, you know, I started the firm 10 years ago. We really started doing more like cannabis business law, maybe 2014, around there, 2015. Mm -hmm. And there was sort of like a learning curve, but they, you know, they just think it's great. How about within the industry as a whole? Like, uh, a, is there a stigma to being a cannabis attorney, or was there? Maybe there isn't anymore. And other attorneys, you know, oh, you know, they're they're the cannabis lawyers. Oh, I'll not, never forget. Like, I was asked to present at a bar association meeting in Newport Beach at um, like a golf club you know <laughs> like, yeah. and the audience is all you know white dudes in their 60s and i'm telling them what i do and woof uh you know they're just saying you know how unethical i'm being uh, advising drug dealers teaching them how to get away with the law um accepting cash that was crazy um so definitely you know Definitely has a stigma to being a cannabis lawyer. It's gotten cool now. All the big law firms yeah. are doing it. Um, so, uh, you know, now these big law firms are, you know, my competitors or my colleagues or, you know, I'm working with them daily. So that's been an adjustment for me as well. You know, it used to be just like two dudes making a deal. And now, you know, I'm dealing with attorneys for publicly held companies. Um, you know, or oral corporate departments at, you know, name your law firm. So um, it's been a challenge for me to stay on my edge and competitive and be able to, you know, provide services um, in the space. And, you know, I, I appreciate that challenge. It's been great. You know, I feel like I'm learning every single day, every single deal, every single transaction. Yeah. Um, I learned so much. Yeah, maybe next time they invite you to the uh, the, the uh, country club <laughs> thing where uh, everybody will be standing. You know, right. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. yeah! What a great thing you're doing. It's same thing with me. Like uh, I actually got kicked out for for pod. And like all my friends back in the day, not not all of them, but a lot of them were like, "He's the druggie, right? right. He's the cannabis." And I, and and I had a lot of those. They were addicted to opioids afterwards, but I was a druggie because I was consuming cannabis. But now. A lot of them, their parents were. They would call me and ask me for, "Do you have anything? Do you have a, anything you can get me? Anything you can help me?" So it's the yeah, it's it's kind of like you know, you're when you're the only one that can see in a you know in a blind village or whatever that, that story is, you're crazy, <laughs> right? Until yeah. they catch up. Um, well, I think it's it's with every moonshot, right? Like so, when you're an entrepreneur, you're doing something that's outside of what the norm is, whatever. That means it's sort of you're on the ledge, but it's sort of like uh, you have a you have a different connection to when you see something that nobody else can see, as you were saying. And I think like Wayne Gretzky used to say, uh, they asked him, "How do you how do you score those goals?" Why? Because I skate where the where the puck is gonna be. So if right. you have if That's you have right. that vision, it's it's hard for people to like jump on. Like I don't see it, 
well, I'm sorry, but I see something different. And then when people catch on, you're already 10 steps ahead and you have to figure out they're following, you know, you're weak basically, but you have to figure out how can you still be competitive, how you can still be creative and, and kind of make those shifts as people are following you. So we say like uh, two steps ahead. Yeah. I mean, that's really where we are naturally, right? We're just always, you know, they're sort of making the sauce with your old recipe, you know, and, and, Love that. you know, yeah. you, you're the, you're the chef. So, you know, you can't really remake it. Um, and just competition just makes it better. Honestly, you know, I've, I've been complacent before and that's not where you grow. Let me remember correctly. I think I saw in my research, you had a book out too, uh, on, on Amazon. I, I, saw I did. It, right? a, yep. That- I did publish a book. It's called legal weed. And, um, it was, that was right when legalization happened. So that's already four years ago. And the law has changed immensely since then. And I am due to write a uh, legal weed too. I have to write one. Exactly. Um, but I really do a lot of online uh, articles and info and blogging. Like that. That's really because the law changes so quickly. That's really where we can, it's only practical to do digital content because by the time you get it printed, you know, it has, it's, mm. it's old very soon. <laughs> yeah, this, I, I agree with you. It's a, even my book, I was like, man, I think I already have to, I have so many more updates to the stories that I wrote in there than, you know, I think digital content is much better. And this kind of outlet, you, you did a podcast, right? For a little while too. So that, that yeah, it's, it's current, right? So you're always current so maybe like doing something with blogging and digital content and maybe are you thinking of doing another podcast i do like these uh it i do have sort of like you know my instagram which is 420 attorneys um we have i i I partnered up with a woman um her handle is cannabis cutie the cannabis cutie and we do a lot of content in sort of short form pot like we'll we'll film something really long then we'll chop it up for for instagram got it um but i love that i i mean we did yeah our our podcast sold called legally blunt you know when you get more busy i have three kids also like it's just Uh, i don't have time to run a law firm and to do all these things and but i have you know i we also just started a tiktok and um, you know, I'm really just embracing sort of the social media side, but I do love yeah. podcasts. I would love, I would love to do what you do to have guests and ask them questions. Yeah. That would be amazing. Well, just do it. Uh, but time is, this is, it takes a lot of time. You, you, I think people don't realize that it, it's a lot. you have to do research. And yeah. Be, yeah. It's a lot of, it's a lot of, and if you're running a company, it's really hard, but I do enjoy it. So it's like, this is a, passion project of mine because i just like meeting people and having conversations and if anybody's listening to it great it's a bonus if not i learned yeah. something so it's yeah like, i i i hate 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 to study maybe that's why i never went to law school but i love to learn i love so like getting this kind of thing that's learning from yeah. listening to what are other people's stories that's the way i absorb information um uh how old are your kids 10 7 and 2 wow yeah. Uh, yeah, I have, an, I have uh, mine is going to be 18 oh, wow. uh, yeah, January 5th in, in about a month. Oh, my oh, gosh. gosh. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm still in the thick of child rearing. And oh, yeah, um, it's a lot. It's a lot to have three kids and a business and do all the things. It's whew, it's definitely demanding. Um, but I'm going to do a podcast. I will do one. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I'm a, I'm a single dad too, so it's like I don't have any help. Oh, she's, wow. she's older. Yeah, is she uh, still in high school or is she beyond? Yeah, she's uh, she's graduating this That's year. So or exciting! I guess next year. So we're doing all the college stuff. And last night was the cutoff uh, for the UCs. I think that she oh. had to submit, and we literally, like, no lie, I actually took a picture of the screen. She pressed the submit button. It was, I think, it was like. Eleven fifty nine. Midnight was the cutoff. Eleven fifty nine on the <laughs> oh dot. On the dot. 
I'm like, you're, you're like, you're, that's my girl. That's what I do. I procrastinate, but I show up when my back is against the wall. I'm on it. Uh, so she's the that's same way. Amazing. She's, she's wow. Yeah. But, but you're going to have to have that cannabis conversation with your I kids. Know. But, but at some point I think it's going to be like, there's not going to be the same stigma around it. Well, they already ask. I mean, they already, so I've explained to them and this was, this is also part of like our podcast series that I do with um, Tammy is we talk about parenting um, as a cannabis consumer. And so that conversation, you know, Mm. it's just basically what I, you know, how I conveyed it, at least at this stage, they're still pretty young. It's It's medicine and it's for adults. It can be used as medicine or it can be used the way adults use uh, alcohol. And the only thing that I don't want to do that I have not really done is actually smoke in front of them because I don't know. I don't know if they might be confused with cigarettes or you not really understand it, but it should be like you can smoke just like you can drink, you know? Yeah. I, I I don't do it either. And, uh, but I mean, she knows obviously, and, I know what she does and all that stuff. She's not, she's not into it, but I've been open since she was a little kid because she could, she was in the car with me when I would drive and, and talk to patients right. that are, that are sick with cancer and all this stuff. And she would hear me talking to so It was normal for her. So she actually heard it for years, but uh, it's not her thing. She doesn't. And it's, and it's because I never made it like, Oh my God, it's, it's taboo. Don't ever touch this. It's, the kids are curious. Oh, what do you mean? Same thing with alcohol. Now, I grew up because uh, my parents, we would do a shot of like vodka before dinner since I was a teenager. So the alcohol was never my thing. I never cared about it that much. And I, I didn't even like to drink really. Now, maybe one drink here and there, but I just was back in Philly. We sit down at the dinner table and what are you drinking? I'm like, I haven't had a shot in years. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? Before dinner, we have to have a shot. And because you landed safely, we have to have a shot. And because the dinner is good, we have to shot. <laughs> and another one for dessert. And that's it. So I grew up with that stuff. Now it's it's definitely it's definitely different. But uh yeah, you'll you'll have a different conversation with your kids uh, uh based on it's, it's not gonna be that much of a stigma. All right. So I have a few questions I ask all my guests. And uh, uh, the first one is, please describe your first experience with cannabis. Ooh, my first experience with cannabis, I was a freshman in college and just moved into the dorms, made some new girlfriends, and they asked me if I smoked weed. And I said, no, I'd never tried it. They were so shocked that I had never tried it. Obviously had to get me high. And so we went out into the deep, dark wood. And uh, because I went to school in San Luis Obispo, there was like the woods were right there, literally. And there was this fallen tree that we sat on and would smoke on many, 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 many times to come. (laughs) And um, I was out of a pipe. I smoked out of a pipe, right? Figuring out how to do all that, where the finger goes and all that. And then afterwards, I was like, you guys, I don't feel anything. But all they just kept doing was like giggling at me because they everything I said was hilarious because I didn't think I was high, but I was clearly high. And I thought that I came up with the invention for dentists. I was like, why don't they just make you smoke? It's cotton mouth. You don't need the spit sucker. Like, I just was obsessed with that, that idea. Uh, And I just remember walking back to the dorms and just giggling. And um, that was my first experience. It's so, it's so funny because I asked this question of uh, all my guests and there's, there's two different answers, but they're, they're basically two, um, two types of, of experiences. One of them is, oh my God, I got so high. I was like paranoid and all this stuff. And then it's, I think I'm not even sure if I was high that it's like, they're not sure your first experience. You're not sure, but they didn't have a bad experience. They had a good experience and giggling and all that stuff. So that's why, you know, it's when we do our DNA testing, it's the same kind of thing. We can see that some people are predisposed to when you have a little bit too much THC to that anxiety and stress reactivity uh-huh. and that other people are not. And they're the ones that are probably having those giggly experiences and don't really realize they're really high. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so I'm a big music guy. 
love music. Obviously, you can see behind me, I'm a music uh, collector and all that stuff. Do you remember what the very first uh, concert you ever attended was? Um, these are great questions. These are greatest hit questions. Um, yes, I do. It was, um, you know, I'm not exactly sure which one came first in time, but I think it was No Doubt. Okay. And or Alanis Morissette. Those were like my two earliest. So that dates me right there. <laughs> I do. Did you did you see did you see the uh, Alanis Morissette uh, documentary? Uh, she, I think it's on HBO. I didn't see it. It's really, is really it good? good. It's fantastic. fantastic. Oh, I'll check yeah. it out. Really, really good. Uh, well, do you, what was the last concert you attended? The last concert I attended was the weekend at uh is it SoFi? is that the one no crypto the huge one what's that one it's SoFi. um yeah if that was it was so the night after he that was when he canceled the concert so we went the night before and it was phenomenal yeah my my daughter's gonna be really jealous she couldn't go because uh canceled the show um is there anything you listen to uh of any interest that you uh think you want to recommend um Cher's Cher's yeah. great. Yes, she was great. I'm a big fan. <laughs> yep, listen to Cher. There you go. That's funny. Um I listen to um yeah, what do I listen to? Um I like uh Gary V. I like listening to Gary V's motivational stuff. I love Gary yeah. V. Yeah. Uh, it's not not music, but it's yeah. great. Um oh I thought you were talking about like like pocket music. Music wise, this is okay. So, my office, I have like like Sonos speakers in every office. I'm always doing the top classical hits while I'm working. Um, or I just got into like an 80s playlist. Um, I'm also listening to a lot of Coco Melon. I don't know if you're familiar with Coco Melon. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, the 80s thing is interesting because. Uh, like I grew up in in the eighties. I'm I was born in seventy two, so I'm I'm fifty, and uh, I hated the music in the eighties. I thought when I was in the eighties, I didn't like eighties music. I listened to seventies music when I was in the eighties. It was just connected more to me. But I did listen to the radio, and now I'm listening to like eighties music. I'm like, wow, awesome! I really I really like a lot of eighties yeah. music. It's great. I just went to see Billy Idol oh, nice. at the Roxy, and he freaking rocked. He was great. So yeah, I love concerts too. Um, yeah, I think uh, the best concert I ever went to was Beyonce on the Run. I oh, literally yeah. cried; it was so good. And who else do I love? I love Jack White. It's like me. Love his show. Yeah, I went to see him. Yeah, I went to see Jack White a couple of times. Saw him at the the YouTube. Mm, uh, how was that? This year, uh, he always incredible. delivers. I saw. White stripes, Jack White, the rock and tours. Right. I yes. saw. I actually, I see a lot of a lot of shows, but I went to see a Jack White solo concert. I think it was at the Shrine. I want to say I'm not 100 percent sure. I went to that one, yeah, with the with the orchestra, so, or is that a different one? No, that one I saw too. It was just him and a, and a band. But what he was doing was like he plays effects, guitar effects, all the time, and between songs. He will let the effect keep going, so you hear this this uh, sound, wow. and it was just that frequency uh, was so loud. And I came out of the concert, and my friend's talking to me. I literally couldn't hear what he was saying for an hour. Oh, I felt deaf, like I could. He had to yell for me to hear until, and I think that did some permanent damage. <laughs> Jack White's permanent damage. Jack, I uh, yeah. Do you know any lawyers that I can uh, <laughs> go talk to? Is this people? Exactly. Oh my gosh! All right. So, what has cannabis meant in your life? Um, cannabis has meant really just uh, I think freedom. Um, it allowed me to open up personally and professionally. Uh, and develop in a way that I would not have absolutely otherwise without it. Cool. Okay. Final bonus question. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. Uh, um, I had, let's see. I think, yeah, it was, 
I definitely had a lot of black lights. I was into like lighting <laughs> and, um, you know, just standard bedroom, nothing too exciting there. Any posters in the walls or anything like that? I don't think I had any posters on the wall. Is that sad? What did I have? I have a lot of pictures. I was into, I was always into photo, photography, like taking pictures. Okay. Um, I didn't have like bands or I didn't really have like celebrities that I was into so much. Well, pictures are cool. That's not sad. It's whatever <laughs> you're into. Yeah, people. Yeah, I, I looked at it. I was uh, I was visiting in my parents' house and uh, they had a box of my old pictures and I went through a couple of them. I'm like, that's a picture of my room. And I forgot that it looked like that because I changed around. And I, I had a bunch of these posters with black lights that these Bruce Lee posters. I was really into Bruce Lee when I was a kid. I'm like, I forgot all about that. I actually had them on the wall. Yeah. I remember I had Van Hale and all this oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I had, had one stuff. of those black light posters that had like a trippy. I didn't even know. I didn't. I was like so straight. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke nothing. But it like I must. It was like a mushroom. I don't know. I must have just already been there and not known it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You stepped into yourself. Yeah. Well, Itel, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people contact you? Social where wherever they want to connect website. Our website has great uh, articles on the industry, on the law. It's manzurilaw.com. Um, we're on Instagram at 420 Attorneys. Uh, you know, we have a really great voice there. I'm really proud of that voice. Um, TikTok is the Manzuri Law Firm. Um, yeah. And just, you know, pretty much Google. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for joining. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canada podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.